It's like, it's like God's law is what we're going to look at tonight. I'm going to speak from Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 21. If you want to get that up on your phone or in a, in a Bible in front of you, there's some Bibles floating around. That's what we're going to do. And before I jump in, I'll, I just want to ask, why do you need commandments? Why do you need laws? And let's be honest, there are some really stupid laws around. I googled stupid laws <laughs> the other day. I was laughing for hours on end. There's like the Salmon Act 1986 which says it's very illegal to do anything suspicious with a salmon. And um, in one country, uh, it's illegal uh, to fall asleep in a cheese shop. And um, I think uh, one of my favorites was it's it's illegal somewhere to uh, sleep with a donkey after 7.30 at night. And my favorite of all was in Georgia, this is true, it's illegal if you own chickens to let them cross the road. And I just thought they're just stupid. But, you know, some people think like the Old Testament law, God's law, it's a bit stupid. But actually, I want to, as we begin, say God's law uh, was given to the people of Israel as they left Egypt. We've been tracking this story. And uh, basically, uh, uh, they were given to the people uh, of God um, because God wanted his people to flourish. He delights in his people. Uh, he loves his people. And he wanted them to flourish as they left Egypt and uh, journeyed on into the promised land. God loves and delights in you. He, he cherishes you and he wants you to flourish. And he wants you to be like these vibrant flowers full of life, full of growth, full of color uh, and not like these and I wonder how you're feeling tonight, which flowers or which one you're, 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 you're turning towards. But God, you see, loves and cherishes and delights in his people. And that's why he gave them uh, these laws. So let's look at these laws. What are they? So we're looking at Exodus um, chapter 20, uh, verse 1. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So he, he doesn't want his people to be unflourishing or in slavery. He wants them to be in a good place. And he gives them these uh, Ten Commandments through Moses. And you'll see the, the first four are about how they're to respond to God. And so if you look at... Uh, uh, verses 3 and 4, uh, their love for God was to be exclusive. So you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 3, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or above or on the earth below or in the waters below. So their love to, was to be exclusive. That's the first two commandments. Their love was also to be respectful. The third commandment, this is verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Uh, so uh, exclusive, respectful. Uh, also, their love was to be devotional. You know, if you love someone, you spend time with them. And uh, God wanted his people to spend time with him. So the fourth commandment was about the Sabbath in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Have a day a week where you just spend time with God. You keep it holy because he wants you to flourish. He loves you. And uh, that's what people do with people they love. They spend time with them. So they're the first four commandments. The, the last six commandments are about their relationships with one another, their community life 
together. And so uh, they are really uh, to respond to other people in different ways. So uh, I think it's verse 12, they're to um, actually honor their family, if I can find it, where are we? It is verse 12, honor your father, your mother, so that you may may live long in the land the Lord your God uh, is giving you. So they're to think about their family. They're also to um, really... Um, bless one another, not mistreat one another. Verse 13, you shall not murder. And that also involves not just sort of killing people, but killing life, killing good things in other people's life, uh, if you like. And also within the marriage covenant, they're, they're, they're to honor uh, one another in their, in their uh, marriage. So they're to uh, not commit adultery, Community life as well, you'll see they're not to steal. I'm going to go through the verse 16. You should not give false texts to me against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house, uh, your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So these were basically commandments of God to these people that he loves, he wants to cherish, as he's brought them out of slavery um, in Egypt. And these things are meant to bring flourishing and blessing. Uh, and not sort of it. They're not a list of don'ts, don'ts, and ba 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 ba. They're how the people can flourish. And Nicky Gomble, um, I think, makes this a uh, good point here. He says this if you look at this, the Ten Commandments were not given as a ladder that people had to climb up to get into God's presence. Rather, they were um, given by God to give them a pattern of life for those who had already known God's grace and redemption. They've been at let out of Egypt, for goodness sake. They were not given to restrict people's freedom, but to safeguard it. So are you with me so far? God basically uh, wants uh, his people to flourish. He delights in his people. He's set them free from slavery, just as he's set us free. And he wants us to flourish, to be full of life, growth. He wants our leaves to be green and our petals to be healthy and flourish. Now, I don't know what you make of those, whether you find them a bit boring or you find them inspirational, but the people were quite sort of freaked out a bit by God. They were sort of, whoa, this is extraordinary. So this is verse 18 and and, uh, 21. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we'll die. People, verse 21, remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So there's a real sort of reverence for God, respect for God, and sort of, whoa, uh, at that time. Now, we live in different times, don't we? And uh, I heard this week, uh, actually, we're, not for the first time, we're in a post-Christian country. Uh, Most people aren't Christian. Uh, 9% of the population, there are 66 million people in this country, 9% of them go to church on a Sunday. 2% of them are Anglicans. About 770,000 people go to church on a Sunday. Uh, 770,000 are out of 66 million. So we're in a post-Christian context, if you like. And, um, you know, often in our context, it's like the talk of God, talk of uh, flourishing through God, excuse me, talk of commandments. It's like, what? What? You know, it's kind of just uh, seems alien. But what I want to do tonight, I want to suggest, actually, uh, uh, there are cultural commandments uh, at this time. Uh, they're, they're secular beliefs, if you like, things that, also, that, that seem to point to flourishing. 
Are you with this so far? So, so, so these are things, because culturally, we're in a very interesting moment. And uh, has anyone read this guy, Mark Sayers? He's an Australian church leader. He lives in Melbourne. There he is. And uh, he's, he's written some interesting stuff on where we are culturally with how we can flourish. And, and what our culture tells us is where we'll find this as opposed to this. Um, and so I want to just tr- go through some of his stuff. Is that okay? Are you with me? Right, there's a bit to go through. So here's the first thing. To get to the heart of our post-Christian context, we must understand how we got here, how the ground shifted. Sometime in the night, a revolution occurred, and we did not notice it. So distracted by the phony war between left and right, conservatives and liberals, we failed to notice that a new power has seized control of both our imaginations and the halls of power. Culturally, our imaginations are are up for grabs, and so are the halls of power. So what, uh, let's move on, what does he say? This new power swirls around a small yet widely held set of beliefs, okay? He's got seven commandments, and I just want to go through these. Cultural commandments, if you like, uh, which is the water we swim in day in and day out. I don't know whether you agree with these, but he says the first commandment is the highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. Is that fair enough? That's the highest thing in our culture. Secondly, traditions, religions, received wisdom, regulations, social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. You know, there's, there's not much um, time for tradition or religions or institutions. Number three, the world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. Technology in particular, the internet, will motor this progression towards utopia. There's a real emphasis on technology, the tech companies, Apple, Google. These people are the pioneers who are going to lead us into uh, flourishing. Uh, Four, the primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. Any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. Therefore, social justice is less about economic class inequality, more about issues of equality relating to individual identity, self-expression, and personal autonomy. There's a theme developing here, isn't there? Uh, Moving on, number five, humans are inherently good. Six, large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst. Uh, The government, the legal profession, uh, all these institutions uh, are are under uh, uh, suspicion, if you like. And seven, forms of external authority are rejected and personal authenticity is lauded. Now, is this helpful? Do you think, yeah, this is where we're swimming? This is the culture we are in. I, I found these helpful myself. And they're more than sort of, they're actually very influential. And you'll see on this next slide, um, there's this guy called Mark uh, Leela. He's a professor at Columbia University, uh, uh, part of New York City, uh, in, in New York City. And, and he's a sort of social commentator. He's quite liberal. He says this. The simplicity of these beliefs means that they're held by seemingly opposed groups in the West. These beliefs are held by groups as disparate as human rights advocates, 
pornography producers, free market economists, leftist anarchists, internet hackers, hippies, tech entrepreneurs, and small government conservatives. He's in the American context. But you see, the, these views are held by a whole range of sort of different sort of groups of people. And he goes on and says this. However, the most importantly for millions across the West, these beliefs provide the dominant framework for navigating life. You want to flourish, you want to navigate life, you follow these things. This new cultural outlook, it's not so much an ideology, but something that borders on a religious belief. So we're talking tonight, aren't we, about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about these cultural commandments and uh, actually uh, the power of them and, the, and the, the water we're swimming in, so to speak. Are you, are you with me so far? Are you up for this? Because we're going on a bit of a, a, a sort of odyssey tonight. I think there's another quote potentially. Uh, the result is an amnesia about everything except the immediate, the instant, the now, and the me. The future is not left to God, but rather a kind of implicit, fuzzy faith that things will simply move to get better. Somehow society will get better. Somehow my life will get better. You know, it's a bit fuzzy, but this is what we're in. This is what we're swimming in. So um, I'm saying, therefore, that we need to be people who can ask and discern how we can flourish, because uh, we've got lots of different competing voices. Okay. So um, how did it go? How did it go with the Israelites? Uh, the, the law was given. The, the, it was quite clear. didn't go well, is the bottom line. The, 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 uh, giving the law to the Israelites did not go well, because they couldn't keep the law. And uh, Bex is going to speak in, I think, possibly next Sunday about, you know, the golden calf. You know, literally a few <laughs> days after the law is given, the, the people are, are all collectively, all of them, um, not following these laws for flourishing. And uh, we're going to look at that next week. I'm not going to say too more about this. But the reality of it is, is that rules, laws, often aren't very effective in uh, actually bringing flourishing. Legalism uh, struggles to bring flourishing. And uh, I don't know whether you, you, you're a sort of rule-type person in your own life, but actually it's important to recognize uh, the limits of the law. Now, have you heard of Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Yeah, so there he is. He's this Russian, he's this Russian dissident. I think he was born in 1914, lived till about 1986, I think. He uh, was a philosopher, um, a writer. He wrote a private letter to Stalin, and he... he not to Stalin. Yes, it was. Was it to Stalin? Yes, I think it was. And uh, basically, he, he criticized him in a, in a private letter. And uh, he ended up in a um, gulag, a prison camp for eight years, because he he'd criticized the Russian um, central system. But actually, communism is a, is a great example of a legalistic system, isn't it? It's rules, it's rules, this is how you flourish, this is how we do it. He said this about legalism, which is worth thinking about. He said this, the letter of the law is too cold and formal to have a beneficial influence on society. Whenever the tissue of life is woven of legalistic relations, there's an atmosphere of moral mediocrity, paralyzing man's noblest impulses, and it will be simply impossible to stand through the trials of this threatening century with only the support of a legalistic uh, structure. 
You see, people didn't flourish, don't flourish under communism, and people tend not to flourish uh, or really um, uh, be able to grow and develop under the law. And I want to suggest, I don't know what you made of the Mark Sayers Seven Commandments, but as you look around you today at university on campus, in your workplace, uh, as you read the newspapers, check uh, Instagram or whatever you're doing, you know, are you feeling that people are really flourishing? Are you feeling, yes, we're winning? Are you feeling that this system is, is bringing um, lots of great uh, life and greenness and healthiness? I, I want to suggest, when I look around uh, the, the place, I don't necessarily see that. And what's bizarre is some of the biggest winners feel like the biggest losers. And uh, we, we're, we're in a bit of a pickle um, culturally. Well, okay, so what did God do then? The Israelites couldn't keep the law. They couldn't keep it for longer than 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> do you relate to that, by the way? I do. New Year's resolutions, whoops. Have you given anything up for Lent? Oh, I did last week. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it just doesn't go so well, does it? And uh, so what does God do with the law then? Because he actually says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a new covenant, a new promise. Uh, I, I promised to actually be your God, you'd be my people, I gave you these laws, I wanted you to follow them, you haven't been able to follow them. So I'm actually going to set up a new promise with you, a new covenant. And the prophets, these people who heard God, started to hear God uh, explain what he was going to do. The first was Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He said this, Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. So um, there's this sense that the law is going to go from being an external thing, uh, like a sort of list thing, and God's going to put his law, his, his way to people flourishing, inside people, in their minds and in their hearts. Are you with me? And this is what the prophets um, actually talk about. Now, when I was on uh, exercise with the SAS, uh, I had to, uh, we used to trek across the Brecon Beacons. It makes me just feel cold just even telling this story. And um, basically, I had the job of carrying the provisions uh, on one of the marches we went on. It was about this like, 20 mile hike. And uh, I've got the provisions, and it's this massive, the SAS have these things called Bergen rucksacks, They're, they weigh a ton. So I've got this thing full of provisions, and it's like this weight on my back. I'm like, this is what the law does to you. It's like, oh, rules, rules, rules. But you see, God says, okay, I'm going to actually put that on the inside. And so uh, over the march, we started eating the stuff in, in the rucksack, and it gave us energy and power from the inside. And by the end of it, it wasn't uh, a weight or heaviness on the outside. Now, did you like that powerful analogy, or has it passed you by? It's passed you by, hasn't it? So let's move on. You don't have to applaud. It's fine. No, no, no. I won't give you my autograph afterwards. It's fine. Now, Ezekiel also prophesies uh, about the coming of this whole new relationship with God and this whole new way of flourishing. And he says this. This is just phenomenal words if you think about it. I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep 
my laws. You know, you're going to be moved to do this. I'm not going to have to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to enforce my law on it. But as someone with the spirit, whoever that was or is, in you, you're going to be moved to do this. It's going to be extraordinary. And, uh, you know, we could go on and on, but uh, Joel, another prophet, he prophesies the coming of the Holy Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and so forth. The the Spirit's going to be poured out. It's going to be extraordinary. You know what happens. Jesus pitches up uh, at Luke 4. He says, the The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight uh, for the blind, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour to set the oppressed free. So as you see, the Spirit is going to come and enable people to flourish. And you know what happens. uh, As recorded in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, the, the Spirit of God is poured out on the church and it turns people's lives upside down. We're here because of that. It's extraordinary what God does through his spirit. So how do you flourish then? How do you seek this place, not this? How do you flourish? Well, I want to just identify three things. The first is you have to remember as you follow God, that Christianity is a relationship. It's not about rules, ultimately. At the heart of Christianity is a relationship with God. And you know this, we all know this, but actually that's really, really important. Now, one night on, my, uh, on this SAS week up in Wales, um, uh, basically um, I was chased, a few of us were chased by this other patrol who were trying to get us, and it was this war exercise, it was pitch black. I really, I'm quite competitive. I didn't want to get caught. So I'm, I'm literally running as fast as I can. I'm 17, I'm much taller than I am now, much more powerful. And um, basically, they say that you shrink when you get older. So I'm running, running, running. I could see this guy with a rifle coming up behind me, and I see this hedge, and I think, right, I'm just going to jump over the hedge. So I literally run, I, I jump over the hedge and I didn't know that there was a 12 foot ditch the other side of the hedge and I landed on my shoulder broke my shoulder and um, people think Christianity is like that it's like this irresponsible leap and uh, you're probably it's gonna it's a bit dangerous you'll hurt yourself but actually uh, at the heart of it is this extraordinary relationship with God have you heard what I've just said have you heard what I've just said a relationship with that person on Twitter who has lots of followers. A relationship with God. It's absolutely extraordinary. And uh, actually, it's only in relationships you and I can be healed. And it's only through relationships we can actually experience real change. So you're ready for some parenting theory. Are you ready for some parenting theory? Are you with me? So here's some parenting theory. Uh, This is kind of like this attachment theory. How do you get a child to do what you want a child to do? How do you help a child? What do you do? Is it a rule's going to do it or what will do it? Okay, how do you really help a child? Contemporary parenting, there's a focus on behaviorism, i.e. the behavior of the child and trying to correct it, trying to get them in the car or go to the supermarket or the free school. Behavioral approaches are wonderful when they work, but they often only temporarily change behaviors without addressing the underlying issues from which the behavior emerges. 
on this next side. The real need, here's the kicker for a child. The one thing actually that has the most influence on behaviors is not do's and don'ts, but relational and emotional connection. This happens when the parents create a secure attachment to the child. When a child experiences this secure attachment, they can thrive, not just survive, feel comfortable asking for what they need, all the while trusting they'll get the help they can need. So do you, are you with me? Do you see how, how there's a difference between relationship and what relationship does as opposed to the law? And so we need to remember that at the heart of our faith is this call to relationship with God. We need to, first of all, come to the Father. Uh, God is Trinitarian. We come to the Father. And um, if you look at this Zephaniah quote, this is sort of well, well, um, well quoted, often quoted. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who says, he'll take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. See, your father loves you, and uh, if, you, if you want to flourish, uh, you need to come to the father. You need to come to the father. It's a very personal thing. I'm talking about this in the Lent Reflections this week, if you're interested, how we come to our father in heaven. Uh, it's very, very um, uh, personal. God loves us. There's this guy, Max Licardo. He says this. If God had, be, had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If you had a wallet, your photo would be in it. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. Face it, friend. He's crazy about you. You see, God uh, is a relational God, and he's your father in heaven. And if you want to flourish, you need to come to him. You also need to come to Jesus. Uh, of course, uh, there's this great quote in John's Gospel. You'll see on the next slide. The law was given through Moses. That's what we've been talking about. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And this Jesus loves us. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. So Jesus loves us and delights in us. And if we want to flourish, we need to come to him. And thirdly, we need to be people of the Spirit. We need to be people who come uh, to the Spirit. And uh, this is really, really uh, important that you see the centrality of the Holy Spirit in this whole conversation about flourishing and the law. I'm not going to labor this, but prophets for hundreds of years <laughs> droned on about the coming of the Spirit. But the Spirit's come. We need to be people uh, of the Spirit. Are you with me? So, um, as we think about this, I want to close because I want to I leave time for prayer. So, I'm going to just not do this last bit. I just want to say one thing, though, which is um, you, you need to culturally uh, think uh, about how you're being influenced by the contemporary commandments. Does that make sense? Uh, as we talk about coming to the Father, coming to the, to the Son, coming to the Spirit, actually, we need to be people who recognize the pressure not to do that in our culture. And uh, I'm going to stop there because I feel I've gone on too long. But I want to uh, actually suggest we just, um, we stand and we, we wait on the Spirit. Is that a good idea? So how do you flourish in relationship with God? You flourish in relationship with God and 
Our culture paints a different picture. Our culture isn't horrible. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't hate the world. He loved the world. Uh, but we need to have our wits about us as, as we think about um, just following God. So I just want to uh, invite you just to ask the Spirit to fill you. Is that fair enough? And uh, let's just um, pause. And we're going to, if you want to do this, you, all you need to do is say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you fill me this evening? Would you come afresh?